verse 2. And if you remember, what if, if you're aware, I've been going through Romans verse by verse. And so we've, last time I was here, we did Romans chapter 2, verse 1. So today I'd like to do Romans chapter 2 and verse 2. Um, so before we get into this, now I, I do have a written copy of my message. So if you like to go to sleep while I'm, if I'm boring and you want to go to sleep, go ahead. I got a copy of it right here. This is a written copy, and it has all the verses that it took to bring this message together, uh, which is it, it took 21 cross-references to document the things I'm saying here today. And I put, some, I put, in, I put this in some of your bulletins, but not all the bulletins. So if you didn't get one in your bulletin, you can come up here and get it. I'll just leave it here. And... Um, Anyway, you can have this, and you can make an airplane out of it if you want to or whatever, because it's good quality paper I put it on. So if you find the reading boring, just make an airplane out of it. It should fly for a while. It's pretty good. Okay, thank you, honey. So what's the other thing? What else did I want to say to you? Something else I wanted to say. Something was just set up here. In my, oh, the, the pregnancy center. You know, to keep them in prayer. Um, I'm sure I shared this with you. I was on a board, actually the board that, that we started a pregnancy center there in Delaware County. Pennsylvania. And of course, everybody said, well, it's not going to go. You can't afford it. It costs too much. And blah, 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 blah. You, know, you hear all that stuff, but we just didn't listen to that. And, and with regularity, I believe it was like every Friday, a handful of pastors came together to pray about the abortion uh, situation and also the possibility of us starting a pregnancy center. And at the time, no money, no idea what we're doing, but we did have faith in the Lord. And we got together and prayed with regularity. And as a result, the Delaware County Pregnancy Center exists. Now it's been in existence, gosh, for 20 years. And um, countless babies have been rescued from this. A lot of salvation has occurred. And so I'm so happy to hear that you're involved with this. It's a great, great ministry. You have to obviously pray for the right people to head it up. You know, you need a good leader. That's very important because the, you'll get static from the world, the flesh, and the devil. They'll fight this all the way. So it's important that you have good leadership. Uh, but you're ready. And, you know, and then money. This thing takes money. But you know how you got, here's how we get money. You know how we got money? Prayed for it. We didn't really, you know, go to the church. Oh, but can you help us? Occasionally we would say something like this. But for the most part, our finance, we just pray. Pray it in. And, you know, and, and, and most people said, well, that pregnancy center, that won't be in existence in a year from now. And that was about 20 years ago they kept saying that. But, um, so it's a great ministry, and you'll find many lives will be saved. And some of these babies that will be rescued, they will come to the Lord. They may be great preachers out there waiting, or great Bible teachers, or scholars, or students who were scheduled for death, but that got life because of your sacrificial giving and prayer. This is a great ministry. I'm so happy to hear that you're in it. It's a shame we have to do this in America, but um, right now that's where we're at, and that doesn't seem to be getting any better with the leadership that we get from D.C. <laughs> we better be on our knees and pray, because it's not really good, I don't, in my personal opinion. Don't want to wax political. I shouldn't have said that, but just pray for our leadership. That's, that's the point. Okay, so we're now looking here in Romans chapter 2. So I'd like to just give a quick review of the, some of the things we talked about last time, a month ago when I was here. I'm sure you don't remember it, so I'm going to give you a quick little reference and then get into, into Romans chapter 2, verse 2. But if we look in here, Romans chapter 2, and, and um, just commenting about it in general, 
we're going to find that Romans chapter 1, excuse me, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, was about judging others. And you know, that's something we could just stop right there and talk about this. Judging other people. And boy, you don't want to do that. You know, especially in a church. You know, you don't want to be, the brother over there. You know, he does it. Oh, man. Who would, who, who? I'm thinking of a particular, oh. I began to grow in my faith and knowledge of Christ when I was in college at the University of Kentucky. Although I'm from here, but, you know, it's a long story how I got down there. Anyway, the long story is, uh, one of my friends down there at the University of Kentucky, uh, Bill Adams was his name, and he was on the baseball team, I was on the football team, so we sort of did things together. Bill was a Christian, loved the Lord, very zealous for Christ. Like me, he had things he has to work on. And one of Bill's problems was that he, he was judgmental. And you, know, you could talk with him and talk about you know, a new convert over here or the Bible study over there. And he'd say, yeah, that was good, but... And then he'd give some kind of criticism. You know, I said, Bill, you've know, you got to stop being critical. I mean, we've we got the world, the flesh, and the devil to deal with. We don't want to devil, you know. And, and he got over that. But that was something he had to do. And I don't know, maybe somebody here is like that. I don't know. I think sometimes the Lord gives people the, the, the gift of discernment. You know, you can discern things that the average person cannot. But if you don't handle that wisely, you become judgmental. Because you see everybody's mistakes. You get, you know, it becomes overwhelming. So, um, judging others. And that's what we're going to talk. That's what uh, chapter 1, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 1, is about judging others. It's about possessing a critical spirit without knowing all the facts. Uh, and you know, this will divide friends. How about that? If you have a critical spirit, it'll be hard for you to have a friend because sooner or later, you're going to criticize them. And they, you know, they, nobody wants to hear this. Uh, often it chases away prospective church members. Uh, it reduces enthusiasm within the church. And um, in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, we, we see this spirit of judging. And it was, in this particular case, in, in Romans 2, 1, it's the Jews who were judging the Gentiles. And so you had all that to go through. And you know, when we're looking in the Bible, it's good for us to do some study on the Jews and, and understanding their worldview and their culture. And, you know, in, in Jesus' time, the Jews and, and the Gentiles were like this. I mean, they, they had some if you want to call it racial issues or however you want to call it, but they had these issues between each other. And the gospel had to be presented in an environment of hostility, the Jew against the Gentile. And so you see a lot of this if you look carefully in Scripture, and you see a lot of it in between the lines. It's not really spoken of as much as it could be, but you do see it in there, to the point where if you look historically, the Jews always called the Gentiles the dogs. They're dogs. Why, they don't have the law. They're undisciplined. And we don't want to have anything to do with those dogs, was the, was the attitude. Now, as we proceed on, I'm just giving you a, a quick summation of verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to move on to chapter 2. And again, we're going to move from, if we're going from chapter one, uh, verse 1 to verse 2 in chapter 2, we're going to move from man's judgment to God's judgment. So really the major theme today, if somebody asks, what did the pastor talk about? Well, he talked about the theme because it's found in the scripture, judgment. Judging others. And again, that's something that we have to always be on, especially within the church. 
Don't let that be in your con. This is a wonderful congregation, by the way. Hope you people realize that. This is a great and unique congregation. And I know my wife and, you know, we just love, oh, good, we're going to Maryland. Good, we couldn't wait to get here because you have something unique here. But you want to protect it. Because, again, your enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, will do all they can to cause a split, have somebody say something nasty over here, or be judgmental over here. And, you know, you need to guard against that. So we're looking here that if if verse 1 is about having a judgmental spirit, verse 2 gives some insight to that judgmental spirit. So let's look here in Romans chapter 2, because today now I want to talk primarily about verse 2. Now, if we look at in verse 2 in the, in, the, in the Greek text, it would sound like this. Diomen di hoti tu, crima tu theu, esten kata, alethane, epitus, ta, teta, prasones. And, of course, you put that in the English, and it says, but we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth, against them which commit such things. Now, the first thing I notice in this, and I just, you know, I just read it and you know, take notes, and you would do the same thing. And this would be interesting. If, if, let's say you had the assignment that you're to give a message on Romans chapter 2, verse 2. What would you pick out? What would sort of come to your mind? Now, you, you know, you want to pray over the text so that the Spirit of God will really be, will direct your thoughts and, and insight and so, but, you know, probably the Lord may lead us in different ways, according to your spiritual gifts, according to how the Lord has put you together. But I'm going to share with you some of the things that I came up with here. And, and the first was this. I noticed the word of certainty or confidence, and that is the word sure, S-U-R-E. Now, when I think of confidence and being sure, I'm now going to take the topic of this verse, and I'm going to move over here and add a topic that's not in here. So I want to make that clear. You know, a good expositor preaches the text, stays on the text, not to add, not to take away. I'm going to violate one of those rules for a second. It's not a real violation if I tell you I'm, I'm doing it, but there's a little violation, and I'm going to get back to the text. But when I see that word, sure, I always have the urge to ask people this. Are you sure that if you were to die today, you would go to heaven? And I asked that question to many people. And you know, you'd be surprised. Even you, you ask church people. Not, you, if you were to die today, you think you'd go to heaven. And amazingly, you, you know, and, and I say, oh, well, I hope so. I think so. Uh, you know, I, why wouldn't I? I'm not sure. But you, often you do not get a response of some absolute, yes, I know I'm going to go to heaven. And it's not bragging, it's... it's having confidence in what Jesus has done for you. And that's what this is. And, and you, therefore you can be sure that you're going to go to heaven. Have you received Christ into your life? And you know, I, once in a while I will do this to myself. I'll, I'll say, Don, how do you know you're saved? You stand behind the pulpit, preach, blah, blah, blah. How do you know you're, you're saved? And, and so I have to, I think, you know, I learn, am, I, am I just kidding myself? Am I just going through this thing? Or am I truly born again by the... Shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have to ask myself this. And, and um, you know, analyze, take, take stock in my own life, my own thoughts. And it, would, it isn't, isn't um, not a bad habit to get into from time to time. But now let me ask you what I have here as a diag- diagnostic question. 
I have labeled here in, the, in these notes. And I'm going to ask you this. If you were to die today, you know, I'm sure I've asked you this before anyway, but, so you know the answer ahead of time, but let me say it to you again. If you were to die, because you know what? I know I've said this before, but you probably forgot it, so that's why I'm saying it again. It, God forbid, but if you were to die today and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Okay, what would you say? Now, however you answer that question, that's what you're really tr- trusting on to get to heaven. If you answer that by saying, well, I'm an elder in the church. I, I go out on visitation. Uh, I, you know, I do this and I do that, and, and therefore I'm expecting to get to heaven. <laughs> of course, we know this, that... Um, but many times people will say and, and, and ask him the question, do you know if you were to die today, do you know if you'd go to heaven? And the average guy on the street will say, well, I hope so. I think so. I say, but are you sure of going to heaven? Well, not really is the average response that I have gotten. When I get this, I share three verses with them. And I want to share those with you today before I move on to other subject of this verse. But here, obviously, now you probably all know these verses. You're all familiar with it, so I'm not going to elaborate. But let me also suggest that these should be verses that you commit to memory. Now, I know this. If I can memorize it, I know you can. You know, if we took an IQ test here, I'd be in the bottom, guaranteed. So if me with a low IQ can memorize these verses, I know you can do it. But do you have the desire to do it? Do you have the gumption to do it? Because it takes work sometimes. Do it. Memorize God's word. And let me give you three verses. You already have, You should already have these down. You all know, number one, John 3, 16, for God, so say it with me, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, I don't want to hear anything, believeth in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'm not sure you got that memorized, many of you. But think about that verse. It's simple, but it's to the point. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, personally, that's what I like out of that verse, whosoever. And that means the black man, the white man, the sinner, the holy roller, whatever, the female, male, whatever. Whoever believes in him should not perish. And what is that perish? Hell. Do we hear messages on hell? I haven't given one in a long time. I try to follow the text, but so when the text talks about hell, I do it. But, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a beautiful thing, to know you have heaven waiting for you so that whenever the Lord calls you home, you know he's with him. Obviously, precious Vicky, the Lord called her home. It's very difficult to deal with, but I know this. What gives me great satisfaction is knowing she's with the Lord. Better off than she'd ever be here. She wouldn't return if she could, and that gives me great it gives me chills, actually, to know she's with Jesus right now, not sitting right there where she normally would be. But I miss her terribly. I've got to stop talking about it. I'll start to cry, so I've got to move on here. Uh, we're talking here about that we are sure. The text says we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. The other verse I wanted to give you, though, <clears throat> for memory's sake, is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You all know that, right? Say that with me. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. I don't hear anything. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, I don't want to hear anything. Good, very good. A couple of you are saying it. And probably you all know it. You just don't want to say it out loud. And I understand that. I probably do the same thing. But, you know, think about that. What a wonderful verse. For by grace, undeserved mercy, are you saved from hell to heaven. For by grace are you saved through faith, 
How do you have faith? Why do you have faith and then your next door neighbor doesn't or your brother doesn't or someone that you know in your family doesn't have faith but you do? You know why? Because faith is a gift the Lord gives to you. We'll talk about that a little bit later. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we never want to think, I'm saved because I go to church, I'm an elder, I'm a deacon, I do this. That's got nothing to do with it. You're saved by the grace of God, plus nothing. Okay, the other verse very quickly. How you can know you have eternal life. This is, I think we probably should have this memorized. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, there's that word, ginomai, that you may know you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Isn't that a fabulous verse? Get that down. If you don't have that memorized, you need to get that memorized. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil will play on your mind and your emotions, and after a while, I don't know, I'm not sure if I'm saved because I had a bad thought or I did the wrong thing, I said the wrong thing. How could I be saved and do that? And you'll start to wander, and then you lose your joy and optimism and not enjoy your Christian life. Your Christian life should be enjoyable. Yes, you're fighting off sin. Yes, you're saying no to the devil and the things of the world. It gives you, but it should be something you enjoy. So let's look at that verse one more time quickly because I need to move on. I'm getting hung up here. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You can be confident of it. Have you received Christ? If you did, you're going to heaven. If you haven't, you're not going to heaven. It's really that simple. That's a good verse to share with people. 1 John 5, 13. So I would say, based on these verses, are you? So I'm preaching here to you. I know you're a church member. Don, what are you asking me that question for? I've been in this church for, for 10 years. What are you saying this to me for? I've known people in churches who were there for 20 years and are not saved. They just like to come. They like to socialize. You know, they make them feel important if they're in the church and all that. But they're not saved. Make sure you know that you are saved, that you're not just giving yourself a psych job. I go to church. I don't do anything wrong, real bad, you know. Make sure you know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have anything with me here? Let me take this here. I know I've showed this to you before. Let me say it again. Because what? Repetition is theological mucilage. What's mucilage? Who knows what mucilage is? I, don't, I didn't know until I got this little phrase. Mucilage is glue. Repetition. Now get this little phrase down. Repetition is theological mucilage. It's glue. You, gotta, you have to hear things over and over and over, and eventually, oh yeah, now I get it. And I'm sure I've showed this to you before. I show it to many people who have questions about the gospel. This hand represents me, Don Britton. And this, this, this tracks here, by the way, uh, this is a written copy of the sermon today. So if you want to, I put some out on the table, but if you want, if you didn't get one, if it's not in your bulletin, you can get, I'll leave these here, and you can get them. Okay, so this hand represents Don Britton. This represents my sins. And what's the message of the Bible? God loves sinful Don Britton, but he hates the sin. Jesus had to go to a cross for this sin. I can't go to heaven if I have this sin on me, and I can't get rid of this sin. I did it. What, now what can I do? Fortunately, that's only half the story. The other half of the story is, if I let this hand represent the Lord Jesus Christ, notice no sin on him, because he had no sin. 
When Jesus goes to the cross, what is he doing? He's taking him, Jesus is taking my sin on himself. While the anger, rage, and hostility of of a righteous God pours out on Jesus for my sins and for all who believe on him, so that how many sins do I have to answer for? None. This transaction goes into effect when what? I believe in him. When I repent, change my mind, and believe, receive Christ, this is what happens. So now I know that when I die, whether it be today or many days, I know this. I have heaven waiting for me because of what Christ did for me. And that's the heart and soul of the gospel. That's what the gospel is. This issue of sin goes from me to the Lord Jesus. I'm now free of it. I get this again when I believe in the Lord Jesus. Okay, let's move on here. Looking down in your Bible, in your text, again, talking about this phrase, but we are sure. And now if you're studying the verse, you want to ask many questions about that verse. And questions that I ask is, who is sure? The text is saying, we are sure. Okay, and I'm asking, well, who is sure? Who is that talking about? Who is the we? Well, as we can analyze this in the context, we know it's the author, the writer, the human author. The writer of it, that's the Apostle Paul. Who is he writing to? But the Church of Rome. So we know that it's applying to that and historically, but we also know through the principles of Revelation, this principle applies to all, really all of us. We are sure. And what are we sure of? In this text, now see, there are many things you can be sure of. But keeping it to this text, what are we sure of? What do we have to analyze? We're talking here about the judgment of God. To Krina, to Theu, the judgment of God. And you know, as you go through Scripture, the theme, judgment of God, is quite prevalent throughout the whole Bible. Old Testament, you see a lot of it there. It's there in the New Testament as well. God judges things. That's why we need Christ, because God judges But when the Lord sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Therefore, we have heaven. But this whole issue of judgment, and because the verse has it here, I am compelled to talk about the judgment of God for a moment. In the scripture, there are numerous examples of the judgment of God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, here's one. Genesis chapter 7, where you have the Lord putting forth a universal judgment of the, of the flood, the universal flood. Now think about that. This whole planet, the whole planet was underwater at one time. Now there's two kind of geologists. If you study geology, there are those geologists who believe in God's word and they interpret the fossil record as if the earth was underwater, the whole earth underwater. But then you'll find other geologists who, you know, they just say it wasn't a worldwide flood, it was just a local flood, so we don't have to worry about that, is what they'll say. Of course, if you look in the Word of God, it's quite obvious it was a universal, a universal flood. And so, the, and, and you know, study this. Study this in geology. There's many books out now. If, you get, if, if you're into reading through these things, get these books on, on, on geology. <clears throat> Especially if it's by a Christian author, they'll bring these things out. On the top of the highest mountain, guess what's there? Fossils. Yes, fossils. Fossils, on the top, fossils of fish on the top of the, of the mountain. Duh, how'd that get there? Unless it was under water. And there's many, many proofs that makes it obvious that the world was under water. And on these sophisticated humanistic 
scientists. They have, to, they have to dodge these questions and go on to some other thing. And Anyway, we find this. That's one judgment. We're talking about judgment. Genesis chapter 7 has one. Now, here's another one in Scripture. Genesis chapter 19. <clears throat> what happened there? Without looking in your Bible, anybody know off the top of your head what happens in Genesis chapter 19 is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, that city was destroyed by, by fire, and many things happened to that, to that city there in Sodom and Gomorrah. But the point is, it was a judgment of God. God judged the city. And you know, the last thing we want is God's judgment. <laughs> it is total, and it is... And you know what? Without Christ, that's what we would have. If Jesus did not go to the cross and bear the judgment for our sin, we would have to face the judgment of God. Of course, we know ultimately that will be hell. We don't have to worry about this because the Lord went for us, you see. One more judgment, real, but there's many. By the way, there's many judgments in the Bible. God does judge sin. He does come down on it. The third one I'm going to share with you was what took place there in Gethsemane or in, in, on the cross like prior uh, to Gethsemane um, or after Gethsemane. Then Jesus goes to the cross, and that's, that's another judgment. Christ's judgment on sin. When Jesus, that, I should take that back, Christ's judgment on the sins of his people. Right? As we get down and you get specific on this, now we really need to have a class to really analyze it. Who did Christ die for? And I believe if you put all the information together, Christ died for his elect. That's why we know you're going to be saved. And if you get that, if you understand that, that will open up so many principles of God's word. It'll open up, but if you don't understand this, and you have the Arminian view, which by the way used to be an Arminian, that was a long story. I thought, I thought, should I tell you that how I went from Arminianism to truth of God's word? But anyway, you know, Arminian believes that that, that Christ died for the sins of, of everybody that ever lived. But then if that's, that's, a, that's a real problem. Because then you have people in hell and Christ died for their sins. What are they doing in hell if he died for their sins? So as you begin to put all these things together, and, and the, the uh, video we had today was very good. Uh, they were, you, know, you notice how they were um, staying true to, to God's word, following that verse by verse, statement by statement. And that's, a, that's the kind of thing you want. Now here's another thing on judgment. I'm getting hung up on these things. I should be done and very quickly, but I'm getting hung up on these questions or my thoughts here. Still on the theme of judgment, because that's what our text is about. What about Hebrews 12, 5 and 6? Does that bring, a, does that bring anything to anybody's mind? Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6 says this, For who the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. That's a judgment. And that's about us. The Lord has saved us. He's not going to reject us and send us to hell. We're not going to get this. But he will discipline us. As we know the Lord Jesus, we know the word of God. We should be following him. But let's face it. You're still, we, we're still in the flesh. And there are times you just do the wrong thing. You're, you're weak. I'm weak. And we get sucked into this and say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. Sin, in other words, sin. We're, we're engaged in sin. And so, what does... Now, we know, and you know this. Now, you're under more responsibility than the guy, the pagan out in the street that never went to church. 
Okay, he doesn't know much about God, and I don't know God's view on that, but I know this. You, God does, does expect things of you. Why? Because you're here in the church. You're, you're leaders in the church. You're involved in these things. And so you, like me, are subject to the disciplining hand of God. And I bet every one of you could get up here and say something about how God has disciplined you over the years. You know, you have your little secret sin over here or your little mental issue over here or you have this, or you know, you're human. You go through these things and may no, no one else may know it, but God knows it and sees it all. And in time, he will bring judgment at just the right time for you. You see, here's the thing, though. You and I, we both are engaged in, in, in the same kind of sin. One may get more severe punishment than the other because one should know better than the other. And God knows all this. He knows our heart. He knows our background. But the point to get it, you know, is for each of us to examine our life. And Lord, if there's sin in my life, whether it be emotional, mental, physical, whatever it be, you know what to do, right? 1 John 1, 9, you know this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it. I bet, because of the number of people here I know right now, some of you are thinking about this. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I have had this thought. I've done this. I've done that. You're thinking that way. That's okay. You're a human being. You're going to do that. I do it. But the point is, as the Spirit of God makes us aware of these things, need to, the answer is, for us as Christians, two things. Confess it before God. Yes, Lord, I did lust after that woman. Yes, I did lie to that storekeeper. Yes, I did. I was lazy over here. Yes, I don't do my devotions. And you know, Yes, I have ought against my fellow church member. You know, I, I criticized the pastor. You know, all these things. You know, you know what they all are. What's the solution? For, you should, now, this should be in your memory brain here. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how you, that's how you deal with your sin. Before God. Lord, I, and you have to admit it. Lord, I did this. Please forgive me of it and give me power not to return to it. That's what you, that's what you need to do. And you'd be amazed how that will sort of clear that whole issue up and then not go back to it again. Now, I know this. I, I now, should I say this or not? I, I'm just trying to be honest with you here. My, I to tell you something about my father here and get back to this. My dad, uh, you know, he knew the Lord, and I really think I came to Christ through his influence in my life. But he was really, he was very humorous and funny in a way. And he had an issue, not saying this is right, I'm just sharing experience here. He had an issue against Catholicism. And so if somebody <laughs> made a mistake and they were of Catholic descent, you know, experience, he'd, he'd go into all this. Oh, yeah, look at that. The Pope said he could do this. And he'd go, you know and forget what the Word of God had to say, and he'd go off on this rabbit trail and all this. But look, don't you go on a rabbit trail. We know the Word of God. For the Lord, uh, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Now that's evident. Now I don't, I don't, you look at somebody who's been disciplined by the Lord, believe me. I've been some, going through some stuff. I now know from, it's from the Lord. But you know what? 
even though, what does, what's that evidence? That's evidence that the Lord loves me. Because he will discipline me. Just like you with your children, right? You discipline your children. Why do you discipline them? I'm looking back when my children were young, I used to hate to discipline them. Okay, Donnie, come here. Or Troy, come here. Or Bridget, come here. Or Lance, come here. And they knew they were going to get it when I did that. Can you get over here. And they, what, Donnie, what? I didn't mean to do anything. <laughs> and I would, I, no, I hated spanking them. I'd rather rip my heart out than do that. But I had to do it for their good. You know, you have to do this. That's discipline. The Lord does that to us from time to time, and he knows just what we need. Maybe somebody here is under the disciplining hand of God today. Okay, take it patiently and learn. Learn from it. And um, I'm sure all of us here have been disciplined, perhaps some more, more intense than others, because that's what, your, that's what your disposition needs. God will give you what you need. And I look back again as a father disciplining my children. For one kid, he needs a hard whack for him to understand the truth. The other, all I have to do is just look hard, harsh at them and, and they crumble. So each one is different. So I would give them what they need. God does that with us. He disciplines us. And in order to get our attention, it may, it may be something severe. You know, learn. And somebody, that's not original with me, but someone said, learn, learn to respond to God's light touch. Don't make the Lord, hey, Don, wake up, because you don't want that. You know? And the Lord puts his hand on my shoulder. Don, be careful. Wake up. I want to respond, learn to respond to his light hand. That means less misery for me. <laughs> but because God loves me, he won't let it go. He won't let me go. If I don't respond to the light hand, then I'm going to get a little heavier hand. Do you got that? Do you get it yet, Don? How about that one? You get, and you know, you want to learn. And I'm sure every one of you have had that. Ex- I know you have, because you're a child of God. You've had that. I'm looking at people who have been ex- disciplined of God. Now, some... You know, we respond differently. Some, again, going back to my children, some kids have to be spanked two or three times before they get the message. The other one, just give him a harsh look and he faints. You know, we're all different. But God knows you through and through. And whatever you need to get you to respond, that's what you're going to get. (laughs) So, and I would say to you, and saying to myself, learn to respond to God's light touch. You'll save yourself so much trouble, so much heartache, just listen to God's light touch. Well, we're talking here about the judgment of God, getting off on a tangent here. And again, I'll be, try to cut some of this down so we're not here all day. Let's talk about some testimonies of people who have been disciplined of God. What do they say? Job. <laughs> we talk about a guy who's gone through discipline, Job. But look what Job had to say. Job 28, 28. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. See, he learned his lesson. <laughs> Took a lot from him to learn it, but he learned it. And he states, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. You want true wisdom? Now, when you say the word wisdom, we have to make a distinction. We're talking about godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom. Solomon, King Solomon. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Here's Solomon, the most wise man that ever lived. What's his confession? The fear of the Lord. We'll talk about that word fear in just a minute. But Well, fear means to respect. Have a reverential respect for God. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm like this. It doesn't mean that. But it does, you know, when you're in the presence of someone who you respect, you know, you you behave yourself in a certain way. 
right? You make sure, you know, hello, nice to meet you here. Have a seat, you know, you take weight on them. And that's what, that's, that's, what, that's what the fear of the Lord is all about. Here's another one by Solomon. The fear of the Lord produces strong confidence. When you are in fear of the Lord, having reverential respect for God, and therefore for his word, it produces a confidence in you. And, and I think we can all verify this, don't we know? We know when we're walking, I guess using the Bible verse, if we walk in the light as he in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. But you know when, you, when you're in obedience to the Lord, that gives you energy, it gives you hope, gives you optimism. And that's why Solomon said, the fear of the Lord produces strong confidence. How many of you walked in the door today and you've got strong confidence? You're walking in the Lord and you're confident. Now, that doesn't mean you're arrogant. You just have confidence in the Lord because you fear the Lord. That will give you great confidence. There's one other verse here. Oh, yeah, on David. In the same subject, David said, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Now, wouldn't that make a different world? If the whole earth, all the people feared the Lord. <laughs> that would change everything dramatically. <clears throat> but that, and again, that word fear comes from the word Yahweh. Not Yahweh, but Yahweh. And it literally means a reverential respect having a deep respect so let me just say this I'm going to have to cut this short I'm blabbing on here so let me just make one more point and next oh, I don't, you know I don't have to worry about closing this verse up why? because you got this you already got it <laughs> okay so I'll finish this see giving these things out now gives me more freedom to sort of go off on a tangent here and a tangent there okay um, <clears throat> so here's what we would expect if we truly feared God now, again, it's a term we use, but do you really do it? Do I really do it? Not always. In fact, not really like I should. So I'm guilty right here. You're looking at a hypocrite, me talking about this to some degree. I do my best to fear God, but I'm not, don't do it as I ought or as much as I should. Like any of us. But think about this. If we truly fear God, now I'm, I'm writing four things down. And really thinking about myself, but also thinking of you, thinking this, this church in particular, when I put this together. Four things would be in our life if we truly fear God. Number one, we would repent of our personal sins. There would be repentance. Instead of going on with the same thing next, next day, next day, you know, oh, I'm going to stop, you never stop, Lord, I'm gonna, blah, blah, blah. No, you repent of it. Now, the word repentance does need some clarification. The word repent comes from the word metaneo, and it literally means um, it means to to um, I forgot what it meant. It does not mean to turn from your sin, which you've you've been taught that repentance means to turn from. It doesn't mean to oh, re, metaneo means a change of mind. Literally, you look it up in, in concordance, metaneo means a change of mind. That's literally what it means. So when in Scripture you see, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Literally what Jesus is saying, change your mind, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Now change your mind about what? Well, about the issue of the day, whatever, whatever you're concerned about. But literally, repentance is a change of mind, if you take it back to the Greek text. Okay, so what am I saying? Number one, if we truly fear God, repentance Will be, our, will be our response to sin. 
meaning I'm going to change my mind about my sin. Well, how am I going to change my mind? Well, I'm going to put it, put it behind me, put it away from me, go to war against it. And this probably now. Would it not be good if each of you, we probably should stop and pray about this. Let's just do this for a, a minute and we'll get right back. Let's pray for a minute. Lord, I want to pray right now for this congregation that you brought here today. And maybe there's just one person who the Spirit of God is talking to right now, that there are things in his or her life they know ought not be there, and it's been justified, ignored, and all the things, tricks that we do. And yet, there lays the sin. So I want to pray for the person right now, Lord, in this congregation, I don't know who it is, but you do, that you would bring them to full repentance, that even before I end this prayer, their mind will be made up to Repent of that sin. Get it out of their life. Change their mind about it. To the point they don't want it, they'll not do it, and follow you. Would you not do that mighty work in our lives right now? Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do for us. To free us up that we can follow you yet even all the more. Through Christ, I ask this. Amen. Number two. If we truly fear God... I do believe, my, just my, this is just me, my commitment, my thoughts. But if we truly fear God, you know what's going to be happening more and more in our lives? And that is we will be engaged in more evangelism. Usually the average church really doesn't do much evangelism. We talk about it and all that, but does it really go on? I don't know. I, just, I sometimes wonder. But if, if you are truly you know, repent of your sins and your laziness or whatever there, there is that's in your life and... If I truly fear God, I'm going to want to tell other people. That's evangelism, telling other people about Christ. Now, how do you do that? There's a million ways to do it, and you've got to find something that's good for you. And that may be the prayer. All right, I'm not witnessing much. Okay, Lord, show me. How can I do it? How do I do this where I'm comfortable and I know what I'm saying and I want to do it? Now, then you've got to find, you know, then you've got to start to do a little experiment. For me, now, I'm going to show you my hypocrisy here. I, I'm afraid I'm going to show you some hypocrisy here. Let me think about it. Do I have it? No. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's not it. I thought this was a trap. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I don't have it. Do I have it? This is, this is, this is so embarrassing. You see, all this preaching goes right down the drain. What I'm looking for is a tract so I can witness to people. But to me, now that's what I found helpful. You know, to have a tract that you like, that you're comfortable with, and always have it with you, not like I'm exemplifying here, and give it to people. Well, what are they going to think? They might think I'm a religious. So what? <laughs> but you know what? The more you do it, the more skilled you'll get, and you'll learn how to do it without being offensive. Let, now, the gospel's offensive. Let the gospel offend them, but you don't have to offend them. So you really need to learn how. So let's just assume this is a little gospel track here, and I'm with a friend here, so I need to know how to... You know, this is one of my prayers. Many years ago, my prayer was that I could learn to witness to any kind of person under any cir- circumstance. That's, that's the way I word it. Lord, teach me how to share your word to any kind of a person under any kind of circumstance. And so over the years, you know, I've been trying to learn how to do this and know how to approach someone, what to say, what not to say. So anyway, um, so anyway, you know, I learned those things. You can learn them as well. And if you, but you, of course, you've got to have the track with you if you want to use a track. Maybe you could just use common sense, com- uh, conversation, and then you're good. Okay. Hey, here we go. Look at this. Thank you. Here's a, 
unplanned example right here. A tract right here. And these are the things you want to carry with you. Isn't this wonderful here? Men of peace. This is the one, you know, little stories behind it. And they're really good. (laughs) Very, very interesting little stories. So what do you do with this? Well, maybe you're on a bus or you're somewhere and, hi, good to talk with you. Hey, friend, I got to go. I got to go now. Here, let me give you some good news to read. That's usually the way I say it. And it works, works for me. So I just give it to him, you know. I put it right in his face. He's got no choice but to take it. You know, here, I've got to give you some good news. <laughs> and, um, and they'll take it now. They may get it and throw it away. Okay, I did my job. I did what I was supposed to do. But sometimes they will take that and read it. And sometimes they will get saved. It's always good um, to do just with Tim. Tim's doing what I'm talking about. See, I'm the preacher. I'm doing all the talking and have my track with me. See, Tim's doing the job. So that speaks highly right there. But you don't want to do what I do, talk a lot, and then don't have anything with it to back it up. Have tracks. Find a track that you like, that you're comfortable with, that you can defend and hand them out. Now, what do people say? You don't, you don't do it because you're afraid to do it. I know. I'm, 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 by the way, I'm more fearful than anybody here. I'm a chicken coward and afraid. But by the grace of God, I'm able to do these things. Now, let me think of one nasty response that I got. Actually, there's a lot of them here. Okay, there was one where was, what kind of crowd? I was with a group of guys, and um, where was I? I don't remember where I, I think I was, I, I, I did construction work for a while, and so I would, I would uh, many years ago, and I would uh, hand out track to the guys I worked with. So one guy, I give him the track, he looks at it, and he says, hey, everybody, we got a religious fanatic over here. Come here, let's look at this. Oh, man, I'm sinking down like this, you know. And, um, but you know what? Who cares? The good news is I was able to get the gospel out to many people. He brought them over here. They're going to criticize me. Okay, but you know what? I was able to give them the gospel, which is exactly what I wanted. And who knows? Maybe somebody got saved through that. You don't know. That's my job. Three and four, and I'm going to close with a prayer. Third thing, if we truly, if we truly fear God, and again, this list is really what I see in my life. You may not have it in your life, but it's still something to think about. I believe we would repent of our sins if I truly feared God. I believe I would be more zealous in evangelism than what I really am. And thirdly, I would be eager and involved in supporting missions, supporting missionaries. It's so sad to hear these missionaries. And these are educated people, smart people, could be doing many things, but they give their life to serving the Lord Jesus Christ as a missionary. And they get very little support. That is so sad. Now, I, don't, you know, I know nothing about your giving. My guess is you're pretty generous. But, um, but many churches are not that way. And, and why do we get this way? It comes to buying things, buying food, buying this, buying a new car, and we flork out the money. And yet when it comes to the missionary, oh, gosh, I don't know if I can afford that much, but wait a minute. Maybe I've got a dollar here I can give. But really, it should be the other way around. Hold on to your money so when the missionary comes, you can give them a good chunk of money, and he can, then he go home, and he's fired up and encouraged. So anyway, that, that's, that's how I see things. That's how I think that should be. And, and again, I don't know. You may be very good in your missionary support, and that's not your problem. But many churches that I'm familiar with, it is a problem. Okay, the four, oh, now here's the fourth one, and then we'll close. And we're saying, again, we're saying this. If we truly fear God... What's going to be in our life? And what's going to be in the life of this church? 
If the whole congregation came together and we're in fear of the Lord, what's that going to do? And I'm not saying you're not. Maybe you are, and, and you know, praise God, because you are a tremendous church, by the way. So you're, you're, you know, you're right on there, as far as I can tell. Here's the fourth one, anyway, and that is this. If we fear the Lord, we would bring sinners to church more than we're doing. Let's put it that way, more than we are doing. Now think of this. Think of each of you brought somebody today. Will you double your congregation right away? Now, usually when the preacher's preaching like I'm doing, I'm talking to, to, to believers. <clears throat> that's a wonderful thing. It's like discipleship work, and that's good. But where's true evangelism taking place? So it would, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a handful of people here not saved? And then you preach the gospel to them, and then when the sermon is over, this is where you guys do your job. You come around that person, uh, you know, uh, welcoming him, being friendly to him. And if you have your lunches after dinner, bring them to lunch and feed them well and give them nice statements and how much you enjoy having them there. And usually that's what gets people to come to the Lord many, many times. Just the response of Christians in such a way that they're kind and receptive and then they feel comfortable around you so they'll return and then they're hearing the messages and before you know it, person comes to Christ. You have a new member who's on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how this thing works. And so that's what I'm saying here, that if we truly fear God, we, my sense is <clears throat> we would be bringing people to church with some degree of regularity. Well, how am I going to do that? Well, pray about it. Figure out how you can do it. Maybe you have a neighbor. Hey, John, hey, good to see you. Hey, you know, you may have noticed that uh, Mary and I go to church on Sunday, and um, I was just wondering, would you like to come with me someday? I'd love to have you come. Would you like to come? No, I don't do that kind of... Okay, well, if you ever want to come, just let me know. All right, then the next day, get the neighbor on the other side. And, or people that you work with. And simply invite them. And you know, you're going to be surprised, because sometimes you're thinking, they're not going to like this, and yet, you know what they're going to say? Yeah, I'll come. What time do you want to... You'd be surprised how people, some want to go, they just don't say anything. They never get invited, they don't know what to do, they don't know what to say. And so they're probably thinking, well, God, if you really cared about me, you get that message to me somehow. Nobody ever talks to me about the Lord, I guess, I don't know, maybe, maybe this isn't true, I don't know. So you show up, and you're kind, specifically, hey, why don't you come to church? We're having a special dinner this, today after church. Why don't you come and join us? And, uh, you know, reach out. To bring, to bring people, to bring people, wouldn't that be wonderful? Now, think of this. If each of you just brought one person, <laughs> think what that would do. Your, your, your uh, congregation would double in one day. But I don't want to get into a numbers game. We're not trying to talk about numbers. I'm just talking about people. But it would be nice, though, if one day we did have worship service and, and, and you're full of new members and... But of course, now that brings a lot of problems with it, though. And that sounds nice and exciting. Oh, we've got to do a bunch of that. That also brings a bunch of headache problems with it. But that's okay. Get them into the church. Get them there and, and share the, let them see your love. This is an amazing congregation. You know what your strength is? I'm going to tell you as a stranger, or not, just not a member. I'm not a stranger, but I'm not a member. And your strength is yourself. You're a wonderful congregation. You're friendly people. You're intelligent people. You have a nice environment. You love the Lord. You guys are... Your strength is getting somebody in here and just let them see who you are and that'll do a lot. And so be thinking about that. Bringing, so what are the four things that we, I'm including myself in this as well, repent 
of our personal sins. Evangelize when I have an opportunity. No, I should take that back. Not evangelize when you have opportunity. You're never going to have one. You've got to make an opportunity. Make opportunities to hand out a tracks easy. That's, that's easy stuff. You carry this around. Hey, John, how you doing? Even the guy on the bus, if you're talking to the guy on the bus, I've got to get off of this stuff. Hey, let me give you this good news. Uh, you might like this. I'll talk to you later. You can do that or you know, just share. You know, have something to give to somebody that has the word of God on it. And then we talked about supporting mission missions. And then finally, bringing sinners to church. Again, I just want to say, would that not be beautiful? And you pull up here, and your car, instead of just having you and your wife, or you and your husband, and maybe another person, if your car was full, your back seat was full of people, <laughs> and you're bringing them here. And, then, and think about, if two or three of us, think of all of us came to church, and our back seat is full of people we just picked up or got to know last week, and we're bringing them to church. be a beautiful picture. Why can't, I don't know why it can't happen. It can happen. We go to the Lord and start praying about these things. Well, I have more to say here about conversion, about the depravity of sinners, about um, that word metaneo. Um, a lot more to go yet, but I'm going to close here. I don't need to just close with this one verse. This is the, the verse to sock it to you in my message here. It is 2 Timothy. Does anybody have this memorized? 2 Timothy chapter 2. And verse 25, does that ring a bell to anyone? 2 Timothy 2.25 declares, If God, preadventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. See, that's why we witness that God, as we're talking to them, the Lord will give that man repentance. He will change his mind. He'll realize his position is weak. He'll realize his position is wrong. And he'll flee to Christ. And, and now there's nothing more exciting than you share Christ with somebody and you ask them, all right, John, I got to go. Would you like to receive Christ? Yes. Would you like to receive Christ right now? And sometimes they will say, yes. Give me your hand. And we just pray. And I'm thinking of some people that, you know, I had that experience. With, that brings tears to me every time. When you say, would you like to receive Christ? And that guy says, yes. Oh, my gosh. You know, and you pray with him. And now he comes comes a whole new creep. Now now you got somebody to disciple. It's a wonderful thing. Give up. But isn't it wonderful how the Lord saved us, kept us saved, brought us together in a New Testament church? It's a beautiful thing. Let's pray together. Our Father, we want to say thank you for bringing us here together today. Thank you for saving us, Lord. We know we can think of other people who would be much more worthy to be saved than us. And yet, by your divine decree from before the foundations of the world, that we would, be, we would come to you through Christ. Many of this we don't understand, but we give you thanks. Lord, we praise you for this, praise you for your mercy. And then, Lord, we stand amazed that you are able to keep us saved. For if it were possible for us to jump out of your lap, jump out of your hands and go back to the world, we would do it. But we are held by the power of your mighty hand. Thank you so much for this, O Lord. Thank you for bringing us together today. I would pray for the person here today, Lord. Who who is the person that came here today who is most discouraged for whatever reason? I would pray that you will infuse faith, hope, and optimism into them. Faith in you. Faith in their future serving you. 
Lord, if there's someone here today who is angry, they're angry about something. They may be angry with their wife, with their husband, with their child, with their parent, with the pastor, with me, with whatever. If somebody here is angry today, we ask that you would take that anger and soothe it over and replace it with your love and forgiveness. Do that, Lord. We're calling here for the miraculous, but that's what you do. It was an act of miracle saving us, saving miserable sinners like us, and you did it. Thank you so much. I call down your blessing on this great congregation. Protect it. Guide it. Multiply it. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.